the Bible in Romans says we should uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We have a number, we're rejoicing about a number of you that have been able to come back to be with us. You've been gone because of illness or other reasons, and we still want to welcome you. We have a first-time visitor today I'd like to introduce you. His name is Tucker Lane Ophir. Maybe you should just like, oh, you don't want to stand. We don't make mom stand up there, but dad can. You, you probably want to meet Tucker. Don't clap loudly because he's sleeping, but just kind of a muffle man. There's Tucker. Tucker Lane Ophir. So, yeah. So you can just say amen quietly. Amen. Yeah. See how long he lasts there. So we're really happy for you all. God's been good to them. And we're grateful to have you. I've uh, been at this a while. My first church, I was single. Uh, and it was in Ohio, in, in Fort Recovery, Ohio. And then I went to school. I met Lois. We got married. Then we took a church called Beaver. Beaver Chapel. Isn't that a cool name for a church? Beaver Chapel had a mean volleyball team, the folks at Beaver. It was on Swamp College Road. It's true. It's a pretty neat place. Beaver Chapel. I'm not making fun, don't misunderstand, but there was a man in our church, his name was Floyd. And I noticed that Floyd was sporadic in his attendance. Sometimes Floyd would be there, and it just seemed like he was full of enthusiasm and joy. And then Floyd would go AWOL. I'd be like, hey, Lois, did you see Floyd? I, I didn't see him today. And his wife and kids would come almost every Sunday. And so I went to visit him out in the countryside one day just to see how he was doing. And maybe as a pastor, I kind of wanted to encourage him to be more faithful and consistent in his attendance. Thought it would be good and helpful for him. And I said to him, I miss you, Sunday Floyd. I miss you. I love it when you're there. I missed, I missed having you. He said, I was in the valley. I said, well, I'm sorry. He goes, yeah, I was in the valley. When I'm in the valley, I'm not much good to anybody. I went, oh, okay. I went back, and I noticed with Floyd, was on, he would, if he was enthused and excited and happy and joyful, he would say, I'd see him there in church. He'd show up early. His, his car would be there early. He'd come in and he'd pray. He'd come early with all kinds of enthusiasm. He would pray and sing. And I would say, Floyd, good to have you. And he goes, yep, I'm, I'm on the mountaintop today. I'm on the mountaintop. And so Lois and I, we're just, super, we're just kids. We're just so young. We would look out the parsonage window. And if Floyd's car would be there, we'd go, well, Floyd's on the mountaintop today. And if Floyd wasn't there, we'd say, well, Floyd's in the valley. And we were young. And I really didn't realize maybe some of the things that Floyd was dealing with. And sometimes maybe you have, I, and, and I'm, I'm, I've lived long enough and known people I love enough to realize some people have wide swings and they're very serious and they, and they actually should seek help and, and treatment and, and get help. But all of us have the experience of feeling like I'm on a mountaintop, I'm in the valley. Can I get a witness on that? Yeah, you're just, some days are better than others. Some days you just feel a sense of enthusiasm for God and a joy and you're all fired up. And then other days you're like, was the coffee decaf today? I mean, what happened to me anyway? I got some new coffee paraphernalia. This is a drug pastors are allowed to take. 
It, and yeah, tepid laughter, I get it. Anyway, I got some new coffee paraphernalia and I was brewing some really, really good beans I got out in Oregon in my French press that were ground fresh. I was really excited. Took it out on the porch to drink it. Poured my first cup, watched it go in there just thinking, this is going to be a really good day. Have you ever noticed how thick the mosquitoes are this year? Mosquito goes dive, kamikaze, dive bombing into my coffee the second I poured it. I'm just like, whatever. I just drank it. I'm like, it'd be fun. Truth is, I, I fished him out. He was smiling. He liked it. He liked it too. Um, if you follow my Facebook, you can see edifying posts like that all the time. But uh, yeah, if, if the coffee's right and everything's right, and you feel enthusiasm and everything's going good, you're on the mountaintop. But how do you help people, though, when you, when you really have to go through the valley? And this is true. This is why we're doing the series Between the Fires, because I have this experience with, I've had it myself. You probably have had it. Kids at camp, they'll, they'll be at that campfire, and they've been there all week. They've been singing with their friends. Their counselors have been talking a minute at night. They've been memorizing Bible verses. Somebody's preaching to them twice a day. They're feeding them. They're giving them special everybody's paying attention to them. They have special games just for them. And so naturally, at the end of the week, the kids are fired up. And they actually have a fire. And often the kids will say, I want to keep my campfire burning until next year. And I think, you know, there's no way really for that emotional experience that you get at camp to last all year. That's not going to happen. But there is a way for the fire of your faith to last, not just from one fire to the other next year, but all your life, and that's what this series is about, I'm literally giving you steps. I'm suggesting biblical steps to take in order to keep the fire of your faith burning all your life. Paul even said to Timothy, stir up that fire, the gift that's given uh, to you. And, and, and in, in a revelation, uh, you, you're, you, you, one of the churches was exhorted, your, your fire's burned down. You need to rekindle that fire. And so um, this is the series Between the Fires. And the steps that we have so far are, were number one the first week. And you can review this if you didn't get a chance to watch it. They're archived on our website. The first one is step would be to be sure you are genuinely saved. Be saved. Be genuinely saved. Nobody has a fire. So build, that's like we call that message building a good fire. Then last week we talked about this second step. And that is that you consecrate yourself to God. And we base that on... Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, in particular, where the scriptures actually say, in the light of all these mercies, the things that God has done, we should give ourselves as a living sacrifice, dedicate ourselves like a, our life should be like an ongoing living sacrifice. We talked about that at length, but what I'd like to do today is I'd like to not only move to that third suggestion, but I'd also, in it, I'd like to give you a really clear biblical picture of what it looks like to live a consecrated life. Because we have one, a, one of my favorite, maybe my fa one of my favorite Bible stories is the story that we're going to refer to today. It's a person who is kind of unlikely, but he kind of backed into following God. And he consecrated himself to God. And the, and, the, and the incident in which he consecrated himself to God today is powerful to study. Now, this is a special day for me. This is about almost exactly four years ago this Sunday, the fourth Sunday in July. Four years ago, 
you voted to call me as your pastor. And so on that day, that was the 30th of July in 2017, on that day, my message was based on the same text. It's the same story. There's going to be a piece I didn't say. There's going to be a number of things I didn't say. It's based on the same text. And some of you will remember that, that I started that message telling a story about something that happened to me when I was young and I'm trying to train for the ministry. Lois and I had just gotten married and I was trying to get back to school and our car broke down in Effingham, Illinois. And we were, and our car wasn't working. It was, the transmission was out and my dad had to come and haul me back on a log chain back to Ohio, which is not the way you're supposed to do that. And I, and at that time, when that happened to me, what was going on in my heart was, you know what, I know, I know why this has happened, because I've been found out. I'm really not a good guy. I'm really not of that, that level. My, my mistakes of the past have now caught up with me. I, I, I should have expected that this would happen. I had these uncertainties hanging over my head, about $300 in my pocket, a wife to take care of, and I'm a loser. And God has found me out for this. Now, that wasn't, really, <laughs> that wasn't really good thinking, but it's a lot like what happened to the man that we're going to talk about today, obviously, in Genesis chapter 28, in verses uh, 10 to 22. We have this amazing story about Jacob. And we're going to take this story to study it a little bit about what does it look like to live a consecrated life because Jacob, if you recall, had valued the blessing and valued the birthright, and yet he thought he had to be deceitful to get it. He didn't think that he could just trust God to keep his promises. He thought that he had to con his brother out of this and con his dad out of that. And in so doing, he was leaving a wake of injury behind him, and he, he aroused the ire of his brother Esau, who was, was a hunter, you know, capable of killing things. And I like to imagine Esau as he's got a head of one of everything on his walls. One of those, you know, a guy like that? You kind of go and you kind of look and you think, you look around and you think, well, he doesn't have a preacher. Maybe I should get out of here before he mounts my head on his wall. I look at Jacob a little bit like that. I look at Esau, or sorry, like Esau like that. I look at Jacob kind of like me. He likes to read books and drink coffee and he likes to go outside and then go inside in the air conditioning and write about it. You know, that kind of a guy. Then there's that guy that goes out and he kills things with his bare hands and he field dresses them and he doesn't mind getting blood on his head. I'll get that to Esau. So now Jacob has irritated Esau. Doesn't it just sound like a really bad idea? And it's so bad that his parents are going, yes, you need to get out of Dodge. Run. <laughs> like, we can't control your brother. He's going to kill you. Go away. Now, and imagine, I'm, I'm kind of making it humorous, but it wouldn't be funny at all if you're Jacob. Your name even means, you know, deceiver, con man, not without guile. And now you're on the run. Your parents tell you where to go, back to the land of the forefathers. And this is where we find him in the story. It kind of breaks down like this. And by the way, in, in Psalm 78, it's interesting, Studying the life of Jacob is an important thing to do because in Psalm 78, it says, I've established a testimony in Jacob. I want you to know the Jacob story. So, so God says in his word, I want you guys to know the story of Jacob. I want you to understand the story of Jacob. I want you to read. The story of Jacob is a story that the faithful people of God ought to know. And so this is important. Why we're part of the reason we're telling this story. Here's this guy now 
who is probably really very undeserving of a blessing, very undeserving of a birthright, very undeserving of receiving the promises of God and the protection of God, and it looks like he's been found out. It looks like he's been exposed for who he is, and he's got to know it, right? If he's like me, when I was young and I thought, God's caught up with me, and now I'm going to have to pay. And I don't, don't get to do what I want to do. I don't get to be a pastor. I don't get to have a happy experience like I long for because I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm undeserving. And now I'm getting what I deserve. And as I've worked with people over the 42 years of ministry, I've realized lots of people have that feeling. Like when they figure out who I really am, it's not going to be good. They don't feel like, well, God is just eager to keep his promises to me. So this is where we find Jacob. In the, in the story, and obviously we already read it, Jacob leaves Beersheba, goes toward Haran. He comes to a certain place, very interesting. He stays there at night. It's like, why did he pick this place? He picked the place because he was out of sunlight. He's like, well, I want to walk out in the dark. So I'll, and he's poor. He has to put a, this is a famous story. He uses a stone for a pillow. His feeling that night had to be, can we read into this? I'm on the run I'm on my own. I'm saving my own hide. I'm just staying here because the sun went down. Not a special place, just a place. God isn't blessing me. God's favor isn't on me. I'm on the run, right? Verse 11, he comes to a certain place. He stays there at night because the sun had set. Taking a stone, he puts it under his head, and he lays down in the place to sleep. So this is like in a little outline. This would be point number one, Jacob's trouble. This would be point number one. Notes, on, notes online if you want them. Jacob is in trouble. But then we're going to see, as you, you heard it read, Jacob has, in a dream, a powerful encounter with, it's, it's actually a, a dream, a Christophany-like dream. It's Jesus and angels are in the dream. Uh, God is in the dream. And, and this is recorded there in, obviously, 10, uh, in, in verses 10 through 15, but especially 12 through 15. And three times, four times in it, it says, behold, like this is a shock. Look at this, amazing. I dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. The top of it reaches heaven. Behold, angels of God are ascending and descending. And it's kind of like, and they're not killing me. <laughs> and, and behold, he says it again, the Lord stood above it. So now Jacob is on the run, stops at a certain place because he's out of sunlight. And now God breaks in and God, in, he has an encounter with God. And that, that's the second part of this story. Jacob's trouble, Jacob's encounter with God. He has an encounter with God in the middle of his trouble. He has an encounter with God in the middle of his uncertainty, in the middle of his anxiety, in the middle of his guilt. God hasn't said, what a loser. God has said, He's, he's a perfect loser for me to use. And so he's God, he encounters God. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, and the land you lie, I will give you and your offspring. And your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread abroad west, east, north, south, and in you and in your offspring will all the families of the earth be blessed. This is a shocking encounter. Now, the, the, the rest of the text that we read we have Jacob in trouble. Then we have Jacob's encounter with God, an amazing encounter with God. Then we have what's Jacob going to do? What's his response 
to his encounter with God in the dream. It's very interesting because in it, I think we see a really clear, vivid, concrete picture of what does it look like for a person, an unworthy person, to consecrate themselves to God. I believe this is, a, in my view, a consecration experience. His response in verse starts there in verse 17, verse 16, and Jacob awakes from sleep and says, this isn't, this isn't just any old place. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. He was afraid. He said, how awesome is this place? None other than the house of God, the, the gate of heaven. In the morning, he takes a stone. He puts it under his head. He sets, that, he put, that he put under his head, set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. Called the name of the place Bethel, Bethel. The name of the city was love at first. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, with me, and he will keep me in the way I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I will come again to my father's house in peace, the Lord will be my God. And this stone which I've set for a pillar will be God's house. And, and of all that I have, I'll give a full tenth to you. What does it look like when you're consecrated to God. It looks like this. This is an example of what it looks like. You have a strong God awareness. You have a strong grace awareness. You recognize you're here to bless other people and you're gonna be able to bless other people. You're not only gonna receive a blessing, you're gonna bless other people. Let's go over that a little more slowly. You have a strong God awareness. This is the sweetest part of this, I think. God, he's, God hasn't just shown up Jacob realizes that God has shown up. Jacob thought, I'm just stopping here because I'm out of sun. God is, no, no, this is a unique and very special place. And he, and so when he has this encounter with God, then he has an awareness of God. And this is, is this not true with us? When you are consecrated to God, when you see the mercies of God and say, okay, now verbally, you're, you're literally praying. A child can do this. Uh, I, I would hope a child would do this and because it's not the strength of your resolve as a kid, but it's the strength of God's work in your life that you say to him, God, I welcome you to my life. I welcome you in my life. I commit myself to you. I, I consecrate myself to do. You, you can do what you want to do. Then God sweeps in and he does what he does. You may forget your prayer. He never will. Jacob is here. He has a strong God awareness. I, you know, we have eight children, and, and all of them have married. I have, uh, I have a little thing I would always say to them. Maybe like if it was my daughter, I would always say, when we're talking about men, I would say, if you marry, don't marry a Christian. <laughs> You're looking at me like, did he, did he, don't marry a Christian. Everybody says they're a Christian. I say, marry a consecrated Christian. And the question should come, well, how am I going to know when I meet a consecrated Christian? It should be one of those things like, I think he seems like a nice guy. He said he goes to church. Like, that's how a lot of really bad stories start. Really bad stories, really bad tragedies. Those aren't romances, those are tragedies. But how would you know? Well, you would, you, here are some things 
that you could say from the like of Jacob. I, I, I say to my, to my daughter, well, does he see the sacred in common things? Verses, verses 17 and 18, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. I see God now. God is always around us. He's omnipresent. God has his cultivated presence that in the word that promises if we draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to us with a sense of nearness. He has his manifest presence where he chooses to display his glory or his honor in a very special way. The New Testament church is a place of God's manifest glory, as the scriptures say. We can trust that he will manifest himself when the New Testament church gathers, no, no matter how humble the gathering, that God will display or manifest himself. This is something we want to cultivate. An awareness, oh, God is here. God is in my life. God is at work. That guy on the Harley behind me, I am going to buy him breakfast. He let me go for I'm going to buy his breakfast. Maybe God, maybe he sees a little cross on the back of my car and his heart is drawn toward Jesus. I don't know. God is in this. Somebody says something harsh or difficult. Wait a minute. What would God have me think about this? How would Jesus want me to respond? He has a sense of the sacred and the common. That's how you can tell if you're consecrated, if a person is consecrated, you'll, you'll experience spontaneous worship. It'll be different for all of us. Lois and I were talking, and I said to her, when in your life did you feel closest to the Lord? Probably like when God brought me into your life. She's like, no, it wasn't it. <laughs> I serve her up softballs like that every once in a while. No, I didn't say that. I just made that up. I said, when? She goes, oh, I don't know. I'm kind of like, I don't like questions like that. You know, I don't know. I said, come on, come on. There must have been a time like that. When, when do you, and it was really interesting what she said. At first I thought, hmm. She said, well, you know, it was when I was trying to give birth. And I was just crying. <laughs> I was just crying out to God for his help. Those are the times I felt closest to the Lord. I'm like, that's legitimate. There are other times when we had trouble in our home and our family with one of our kids. And Lois's prayers, like out loud, just praying like sacred. You almost want to go, oh. And I, my daughter Holly and I were talking. Holly was going through trouble when she was 10 years old and Lois was praying. We were laying in bed and Lois was praying, just pouring her heart out in prayer. And I was talking to Holly about that. Now she's a grown-up woman. And then she says, I remember that night. I could hear mom praying for me. So in some cases, you'll sense the presence of God in a deep, deep trouble. But if you're a little bit like me, you'll sense the presence of God when you see big water, when you first get a, a glimpse of Lake Michigan. <sighs> when you hear a bird song in the morning, when you climb a mountain, when you see a little baby's face. And a, and a thousand other times, if you're consecrated to God, you, 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 you will, this, this, you'll have this spontaneous worship that will happen. This is what he did. He, it's like he gets up and he doesn't know what to do. I'll just anoint this rock right here. <laughs> like, okay. He grabs the rock, pours oil on it. It's what he has. He devotes, and that's another way you can tell a person is consecrated. Whatever they have, they'll devote it to God. It's yours, God, not mine. Here, here here's my pillow. Here's my rock. It's yours, God. And you'll eagerly and openly, a person that's consecrated to God will eagerly and openly identify with God. Look at verse 19. He called the name of the place Bethel. 
name of the city was Luz at first. This is the house of God. Then later on, he says, verse 21, if you're with me and I come again to my father's house in peace, think about that, what he just said. If I can go back to Isaac, who I deceived, near Esau, who I deceived, in peace, then I'm going to say, I'm going to let everybody know you're my God. Listen to me. This is the deal in life. You want to say, you want to, if you are consecrated to God, you openly own him publicly. Young people, listen, just, you don't have to be good at witnessing. Just let people know you're a Christian and then it will, it'll come flowing your way. They're like, well, what about this? What about that? Just, just name the name of, just get the name of Jesus in play. Just get out there and let them know that you believe that the Bible is true, that Jesus is God, that God made the world. Tell them, and then everything else will start to flow. If you publicly own it, a guy tells me, every day let somebody know you're a Christian. Sparks are going to fly. You can count on it, right? I'm a Christian. Oh, you are. You're one of them. Well, maybe not what you're thinking, but yes, I am. And then this is Jacob. Now he's, he's a, I'm going to identify openly as a, as a God follower. And then, I, and then it is humorous. He has a generous heart. He says, I'm going to give 10% of whatever I have. And he doesn't have anything. He's poor. It's, it's like he's projecting in the future. When I get something, God, I'm going to give you 10%. Right now, I just got this stone. This is yours. But if I get anything, you get 10%. This is really interesting that he chose to do that. And this is true with all of us. Once we're consecrated to God, our stuff belongs to God. We, 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 we have a generous heart like God. He, we, we give. We, we're generous. We, we look for people to give to. We look for ways to help. It's the evidence of a con. So young ladies, if you're looking for a young man that to spend the rest of your life with, you might want to look for some of these qualities. Not perfection, but has he had an encounter with a living God? And is the evidence of that he sees God in everything? Is the evidence of that he takes whatever he has and he gives it to God? The evidence of that he openly declares himself to be a Jesus follower long before you came into his life? And the evidence of that is he has a generous heart. The evidence of that, he has spontaneous worship. If, he has, he, if he's had that experience, you can measure that. You can get somebody to tell you he has. It's like hiring somebody. Has this person ever done that thing before anywhere? Otherwise, don't assume that you're going to make him that way. That may happen. It'll be a miracle. It's very unlikely. Like, just wait and don't be married until you find a person like this. This is a little message within a message. Young ladies, young men, same way. My roommate, Paul David Heiser, literally at Moody, on his knees praying, I slip into the room. I hear him going down a list of qualities he wants in a wife. It was actually funny to listen to it. And I kind of wanted to say, Paul, what in the world makes you think a girl like that would have anything to do with you? But guess what? <laughs> guess what? I mean, Paul was an outstanding guy. I'm just kidding. He, he did. He was that kind of guy. He found that kind of a girl. And they found, he's a schoolmaster down in Texas. And, has, and he's been influ, influenced people in a Christian school, influenced people all his life. I saw him on his knees praying for a consecrated Christian wife. So young people, listen, everybody will tell you other things. Don't believe that for one minute. Get a little journal, make a little note of that. Get on your knees, tell God that God will work in your life. I'm telling you, I know this is true. I've seen it over and over again. I've seen the opposite of it too, but that's a little free message on the side that you don't have to pay me extra for. But you'll have a God awareness. The second thing is you'll have a grace awareness. Now, this is the fun part. I, I, I love this. Uh, it's not the main point, but it's a huge thing. And I noticed it in a special way this week as I studied over this favorite story of mine over and over again. Think about it like this. What's Jacob's problem? Jacob says, I know who I am. 
I just ripped off my brother. I just ripped off my dad. Now they're going to kill me, and I need to run. And he's heard stories all his life about Abraham, his grandfather, and Isaac, his father, and the God's promise that he's going to bless Abraham. That's the whole deal, right? The Abrahamic covenant and the blessing on Abraham. And that's passed down to Isaac. He's going to bless Isaac. Jacob is on the run for his life. And he's got, I, I, and I really believe he's got this, they, now God has caught up with me feeling. And, and the truth was he did catch up with him. And he caught up with him to assure him that the blessing was going to be passed down from Abraham to Isaac, to him. And you can see it in the grammar of this, because if you start in verse 13 and look at all the places he says you, let's read it with that emphasis, okay? And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you. <laughs> Wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done all that I promised you. That's so sweet. Now I'm back in Effingham. And I can tell you, 40 years later, God caught up with me in Effingham. He didn't catch up with me and say, I know the things that you've done and you're not qualified to be a pastor. He caught up with me and he said, you are not going to go preach yourself to people. You're going to preach me to people. And I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to bless you and you are going to get to do what I have called you to do. And, his, and, and we have, I will show you in a minute how every one of us who is in Christ can claim a blessing greater than Jacob's here. So in case you're wondering about that. But this would lead Jacob to have a strong grace awareness, wouldn't he? You know, like God just continually gifting him even though he didn't deserve it. Consecrated people have a strong awareness of, uh, have a strong God awareness, and they have a strong grace awareness. Not just God is there and he's going to get me, and certainly I'm accountable to him, I tremble before, but God is there because he's eager to bless me. He's eager to give me his favor. He's eager for me to be a blessing, and that's the next thing. Not just Abraham and Isaac, but Jacob, and, and God is going to call himself the God of Jacob, and the people of God are being called Jacobites, and his name's going to get changed to Israel, and the people have got to be called Israelites. It's just wonderful. So the third thing about this true, you, you, have, you have a strong God awareness when you consecrate yourself to God. You have a strong grace awareness when you consecrate yourself to God. But you also are going to bless others out of your brokenness. You'll still experience brokenness. You'll still experience trouble. Keep reading in Jacob's life. It is a, it's pretty tough. It's pretty difficult to read. Things are going to happen that are, that are dark. Things are going to happen that are R-rated for sure. Maybe worse. In a few chapters, things are going to turn really ugly. Jacob is going to experience some difficulty. But out of that difficulty, out of that brokenness, and when I say brokenness, hear me, 
When I say brokenness, what I mean is how sin has affected you. So we live in a fallen world. The effect of a fallen world is brokenness. You sin, the effect of your sin, your family's sin, is, this is the term we use, brokenness. This is what we're talking about. When I'm talking about it here, this is what I'm saying. God doesn't say to Jacob, hey, I'm going to bless you. You're not going to have any more trouble. God says to Jacob, out of your trouble, out of your brokenness, you're going to bless the whole world. And he would say the same to us, and he gives us an example of his son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, says brokenness affected the whole world with a blessing. So we are not people that live in despair because we are people that are here to be a blessing to the world, even out of our brokenness. And this is what you see there in verse 14. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. You and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The extension of the Abrahamic covenant to Jacob. And we know this points right to Jesus on the cross and God's people and God's son, the Lord Jesus. And this is something that we also can expect. But, God, but Jacob would face other troubles like when you get to chapter 34, his daughter, the darkest thing happens to his daughter. The, the, a terrible tragedy happens to his daughter. An unspeakable evil happens to her. And on top of that, his sons respond to it in a way that brings incredible shame and incredible difficulty to him. This is Jacob who's being blessed by God but still feeling the effects of his sin. Dinah is defiled. Two of her closest brothers go after the men responsible, the, the, all of the people responsible, and participate in an atrocity. And verse 30 says, Then Jacob says to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land and Canaanites and the Perizzites, and my numbers are few, and if they gather against me and attack me, I'll be destroyed, both, both I and my household. And they said, Should we let them treat our sister like a prostitute? This is one of those times in a person's life that is just the darkest valley. Have you ever been there? It's worse than Effingham. You go, I never thought I'd ever have to hear what I just heard. I never thought that would happen to one of my children. I never thought that kind of sin would make its way into my life. I never thought I'd deal with this thing. I guess God has forsaken me. And then what does God say? What did God say to Jacob? You know what he said? Chapter 35 is fascinating. What God says to Jacob, God says to Jacob, arise and go up to Bethel. He says, go back to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Remember that? Go back. It's up. Jacob says to his household and all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to God, listen, who answers me in the day of my distress. And he's been with me everywhere I've gone. Can I get a witness in the house on that? Is that not true? God doesn't say, you will have no distress. He says, 
I will answer you when you call me to stress, and I will be with you, and you will be a blessing, but it will be out of your brokenness. And, but, you, but here's the practical piece I want to say. We make sure you're saved, consecrate yourself to God, but realize it's not a one-and-done thing. It got to plan renewals of consecration, plan or, or schedule seasonal renewals of consecration. This is the third thing. This is the heart of this message that I'm saying. Because spiritual growth doesn't chart up and to the right like this. I'm sorry, up and to the right like this. The spiritual growth doesn't chart like that, does it? I mean, those of you that have been Christians for a while, was it just like I got saved and then everything got better? Or was it more like up and down? And you feel like, wow, it's like the valley, the mountaintop, the valley, the mountaintop. But wait, your lows are higher and your highs are higher. And overall, you are growing and you can't even really see it unless you look back on it unless somebody else tells you. It's, it's kind of how it works. And this is, I think, it, well, this is the life of Jacob. If you watch the life of Jacob, you say, you did not really do that. Oh, that wasn't very good. But then God just keeps working on Jacob. Eventually, God, Jacob was just getting more and more interesting to me as I get older. And almost every day of my life, somebody will say, are you okay? You're not walking right. And I'm like, oh, they can tell. Jacob walked with a limp all his life from an encounter with God. And it would be better to walk with a limp and have an encounter with God than to run like the wind and not have God in your life. If God, so for all of us have a little limp, don't we? Well, all of us have a little, that, that didn't happen to me, did it? That, not that, that thing. It's out of that, it's within a, it's the thing that makes us aware of his presence that helps us to grow. This is the way God works. It, there were feasts of Israel. God built it into the psyche of his people that they would go seasonal renewals of consecration. There were seven feasts, but three of them were pilgrim feasts where they would go up to Jerusalem, the whole family together. They would camp out. Then the men and boys would go up and they had the Psalms of Ascent for the occasion. They had a songbook for it. This is the way, this is why you go back to camp or back to a retreat or back to a conference or back to a concert or whatever for you it might be a family consecration time where you go out together and you and you concentrate on being together and loving each other and being and connecting with the lord job consecrated his family to the lord you can get your family together and consecrate them or you can consecrate them in their absence listen to job 1 5 when the days of the feast had run their course job would send and consecrate them he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them his children for jake job said it may be my children have sinned and cursed god in their hearts job did this continuously that's fascinating to me job was perfect upright feared god hated evil and he was the guy who consecrated each of his children. You can do that. Some of your children will allow you to gather them to you, put your hands on them, bless them. Some of your children won't want that. They won't tolerate that. But you can still give them to God. You can still consecrate them to God. You get what I'm, the practical piece that I'm getting at here. Make sure you're saved. If you want to fight your faith fire to burn all your life, make sure you're genuinely saved. Consecrate yourself to God. And plan seasonal renewals of consecration. Just build it in. So the kid at camp comes and he goes, man, I just want this feeling to last forever. And I'm like, this feeling isn't going to last forever. Your counselor is not going to come home and tuck you in bed every night, talk to you about Jesus. Go over your verses with you. That would be sweet unless you marry her. That, I guess you could do that. But, that, you know, that's not going to happen. That's not a bad idea now that I think about it. But that's not going to happen. So the emotional thing is that if you confuse 
emotions alone for the fire of your faith, you're going to be very disappointed. Of course, it includes emotions and the whole person. But we'll talk more about what is the actual thing that is the, the, the flame of your faith. We'll talk more about that in the future. But, but here I just want to say and to repeat, find places to go to and then go back to those places. I went to Moody when I was 18. I met God at Moody when I was 18. I met God in my room. I learned things about God I didn't know. I read things about God I didn't know. I experienced God when I was at Moody when I was 18. In my room on seventh floor, Culbertson Hall, I met with God. I was making my father's God my God. I uh, wanted to go back to Moody, but I couldn't. It never worked out. I'd have dreams. I was at Moody. I was crazy. I'm like, why am I having these dreams? Even after I was married, I'd tell Lois. Lois wasn't really very happy about that. I'm like, I have a dream I was at Moody. It's vivid. I'm walking across the campus and Culberson Hall's over there. I'm on the plaza and it's like spring day. Why am the world? They open a graduate school. I'm like, I can't go to graduate school. I have a bachelor's degree. I don't know if you know how that works, but you have to have a bachelor's degree to work on it. Yeah. I'm just trying to be funny here. And so it, well, I, I pieced together a bachelor's degree. I applied at Moody's Graduate School. I, I knew that wasn't going to happen. They accepted me 20 years later. I went to the church, told them I needed the time off. The church paid for it. The church paid for it. In a, in the, the, the deacons deliberated five minutes, and they said, how much is it? We'll pay for it. And then that spring, I was on the campus. I was staying in Culbertson Hall. I left a class. I was walking across the plaza. I looked up. I'm like, oh, my goodness. That's my dream right there. That's the picture of my dream. Me, Ken, that doesn't deserve God's kindness, favor, blessing, has received God's kindness, favor, and blessing as a testimony that God loves jerks that belong to him. God loves broken guys that have, been, that have made mistakes, and he loves to manifest his, himself in them. And I would go to my room at Culberson. They had the same furniture. Whoever made that furniture, that's the best furniture. Less than all the, the same furniture that was there when I was a student is still there. It was good furniture. And I'd go to the room. And was, I'd, I'd be laying in my bed in the room and, the same, and, and I would pray. My goodness, God has been with me when I thought I didn't deserve it. He was. And when I went back to Moody, I got back on my knees. I prayed again. Same in a lot of other places I've been where I met the Lord. There's a little speaker's quarters at Camp Barakel where I went 22 years ago and I was invited to speak at this camp and I went in, I read the book. I thought, my goodness, this is an unusual place. God has blessed this place. If I could come back here again, I would be so happy. I don't know if they'll ever invite me to come back. 23 years in a row they've invited me to come back. I go back in the speaker's quarters. My, little, my kids grew up going to those speaker's quarters and you can hear them talking at night, laughing and talking about things. And now they're all grown up and they're gone. I go back to the speaker's quarters this year with my grandsons. The grandsons, the children of the two that met when I was speaking at Camp Barakel years ago. And I think, God blessed me. I go back to the place. I get on my knees. I go, God, you're so good to me. I don't deserve this. If God would bless me, he will bless you. What is the secret of that? Jesus' grace, and you consecrate yourself to God, and you say yes to him. And then this week, I got a call from my son Chuck. He's a pastor, he's just getting started, and he had to sell his house and move. And he's, in, he's got four kids and one on the way. <laughs> he's got all kinds of need. And he's got to move, and I 
can I just say privately so no one hears me, I really hate moving. You, you know, if I show up and you're moving, it's because I love you a lot. <laughs> it's like, really? Nah. And I, and I, and I, he said, can, you know, he puts out all pulling bullets into the family. Hey, I'm moving Friday if anybody can help me. And Lois and I go, well, we'll, sh- we'll be there. I'm like, oh. So we go up to move him. And they're working really hard. I said, you know, I probably won't be a lot of help. I'll watch the kids and move some lighting. I can't carry too much that's heavy. And I was trying to kind of, you know, ameliorate his expectations. I, I got there. His big brother was there throwing things around. He works out. Man, they were just, they were just hauling on it. A friend, they were just carrying things. But when I got there, here's what, here's what Chuck said. Dad, when I called for the truck this morning, I had reserved a truck. They told me, we don't have a truck. I was like, are you kidding me? And you have to be out of the house by 8 o'clock in the morning. Well, you're cooked. He calls a guy in the church. If people tell you that church people are bad, tell them they need to read the whole story because God, the world is full of really sweet church people that will help you with stuff. Like that have trailers that loan you with their car. Guy in the church comes up with a hu- two huge trailers he says, you can put this stuff in the trailer. Here's what happened. We put all this stuff in the trailers. What we were going to do is we're going to put it in the truck. This, this story is going somewhere important. We we're going to put it in the truck, and then we're going to have to unload the truck late at night into a pole barn and then come back later two weeks from now and put it back in trucks and then move it to the next place. But since they didn't, ha- are you tracking with me? Since they didn't have a truck, the guy says, just leave the stuff in the trailers, and two weeks from now you come back. I'm going, there is a God. And he loves me and my kids. It's the same stuff. It really is. The God of Abraham is the God of Isaac. And the God of Abraham and Isaac, say with me, is the God of Jacob. And the God of Jacob is Ken Pierpont's God. And the God of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Ken is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Chuck. And God wants to be that same God. If he would be the God of Ken and Chuck, anyone who consecrated themselves to him, he would be their God. Amen. I'd like to ask you to stand, and we're going to be dismissed with a prayer. Dear Ken Wyatt is going to come and speak a blessing over us. But as he comes, we have prayer partners. We have folks that are going to come to the front. And they're here to pray with you, to help you to receive Christ. If you don't know the Lord, to just pray with whatever burdens you have. And if you, you that are designated to do that, if you'd start forward right now, I'm not seeing anybody. If you come forward right now, who's to, or, or just have a couple elders and elders' wives, and maybe we, we drop the ball on that a little bit. So if you'd just come and volunteer, bless you. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Mark. Okay. And then, uh, and then and what we want to do now is we want you to go with a blessing and to remember, consecrate yourself to God and schedule seasonal renewals of consecration again. <laughs>